0: I feel so bad. I totally forgot to record last week's session. It was dumb. Anyway, this week I we got to make sure to get on top of that. One. All right. So, um, part four. Uh, we've talked about the ruin and rebirth, rebellion and compliance, punishment and deliverance, and now we're on the the crux of the whole. Um, chiastic pattern of Isaiah here. So this is about humiliation and exaltation, and it's quite a depressing (laughs) group of chapters, but there is many redemptive aspects to it. I'd like to share just a quick screen here of um, kind of what we've studied so far, Um, and this is coming out of the literary message of Isaiah, that book, um, where we start off with ruin and rebirth, which depicts a reversal of circumstances. If we remember back to those first couple of weeks where Zion and those that are not Zion uh, experience a reversal, and, and so it will be in the end times when uh, good will, will turn evil and evil will turn good. And then we have rebellion and compliance. In the second, uh, those were our, our next two weeks there where there's a coexistence of opposite covenantal allegiances. So those that will willfully rebel and those that willfully comply with the the law of Jehovah. And then moving into punishment and deliverance, we've seen in the past couple weeks the composite for the end time servant. Um, There was no exact replica of him in the past. And so Isaiah takes these types of a Cyrus figure, a Davidic figure, a servant figure, and um, all of a sudden a warrior figure um, to uh, combine those in as a composite for a future end time servant. And then this uh, week and next week, we're going to be talking about a composite Babylon. But this composite Babylon hinges upon the ideas that we've established in in the the past three weeks, or the past three uh, sections of the bifid structure. Uh, we have to understand those before we can understand this composite Babylon here. Um, let me find where... If um, anyone's done the, the reading for for this week, it talks a lot about Edom. And so here's a quote from uh, this book of, of Gileadis. It says that... Whereas Edom typifies all nations who alienate themselves from Jehovah, Babylon typifies all who oppose or defy Jehovah and his people. So Edom doesn't quite go to the extent that Babylon does, but it still is going against God. But Babylon is those who actively oppose and defy Jehovah. Um, Babylon thus modifies and expands upon the idea of an Edom. And so we see lots of different um, oracles against the nations in um, this section of of chapters. Uh, And a few of them deal with Edom, but um, I forget how many it said here. There's like 14 different um, Babylon types that are presented throughout this uh, section here. so all of these, there's not one great example of what Babylon's going to be in the end times, and so he, he makes a composite of all of these different nations. Some who just leave the church, some who were never a part of it but actively oppose it, and some who leave the church but then come back to destroy it with a vengeance. Um, Babylon is, is this composite figure of, of all evil. Um, there's, there's no middle ground anymore. It's... Uh, There's only two churches, the the Church of God and the Church of the Devil. And so um, here in this whole section, we see that playing out very uh, heavily. So um, I don't know, kind of what I'd like to do is just read through chapter 14, because it really, I don't know, it it brings out many of the different topics and uh, discussions for um, what this section is all about let me bring that up real quick. So um, I'm on Isaiahexplained.com, and I've clicked over to the apocalyptic commentary section. So here we will have the verse and then Avraham's commentary that we can kind of read uh, a little bit through. Um, But after we read through this chapter, kind of pulling out some of the, the major themes and and literary devices that he's using there um let's see so let's see we'll probably just switch back and forth between me and my mom of of reading here and so like we'll read a verse and the the paragraph of commentary and then switch off to the next person kind of back and forth so here in verse one it says Jehovah will have compassion on Jacob and once again chosen Israel. He will settle them in their own land and proselytes will adhere to them and join the house of Jacob. So Jehovah's people of the Jacob Israel category may yet inherit the blessing of a promised land if they repent and renew their covenant relationship with Jehovah, their God. His promise gives them hope no matter in what circumstance they find themselves which is great for the time that we're living in, right? Like, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves, his promise gives us that hope that, that because of covenantal relationships, uh, we, we can access that. The verbs have compassion and choose denote the elect status of those who prove faithful in keeping the terms of Jehovah's covenant. So for them, its blessings ultimately become Unconditional. Many who observe how Jehovah blesses his people unite with them to become one nation in the end. All right, Mother, would you read that second one?
1: The nations will take them and bring them to their own place, and the house of Israel will possess them as men servants and maidservants in the land of Jehovah. They will take captive their captors and rule over their oppressors. Those who inherit the land of Jehovah, which in a millennial context becomes their own place, are escorted home by Jehovah's servants from among the nations. Just as Joseph ministered to his brothers in the land of Egypt and saved them from the curse of, of famine. So certain spiritual kings and queens of the Gentiles minister to Jehovah's people and escort them in a new exodus to Zion. In a second exodus, after Jehovah has instituted his reign of peace on the earth, those who are thus gathered gather up the remaining remnants of his people. They will take captive. their their captors and rule over their oppressors. Different spiritual categories of both Jehovah's people and the nations exist side by side to the end time and into Jehovah's millennial reign of peace. The fact that all of Earth's wicked people, no, Earth's wicked perish in Jehovah's day of judgment, and only those who repent of transgression survive doesn't preclude the survival of some former captor, captors and oppressors of Jehovah's people or their descendants. Many will convert to Israel's God and serve him by serving his elect as they
0: learn his ways. Hmm. So I find that that's very interesting right there. Like, you know, a few people kind of talk about it, might hint at it or whatever, but, but Abraham does lay it out pretty uh, succinctly there uh, with lots of references in Isaiah that, you know, these um, lots of different spiritual categories, you know, not the, the lesser ones that are burned, but um, there, there's going to be many that um, uh, coexist in, in the millennial reign of peace as they are making keeping sacred covenants they don't necessarily need to be the highest covenants because they haven't risen there yet but um moving uh up that ladder uh showing god that they are are willing to to follow him um is is going to be key there I, I like how mm-hmm. yeah, i'm course.
1: just gonna say many of those people uh haven't really heard about jesus christ at this point but yet they're Mm -hmm. good people and so so they'll have this opportunity to to learn and grow
0: yeah for sure and i think that that's kind of uh leaning back to the first section of the vivid structure where it's talking about ruin and rebirth Uh, we see many who have come from long lines of um Disobedience or living outside of covenant kind of keeping, but yet they're turning to god they're they're longing for um that type of a relationship with with a God because the world is so wicked and they don't know where else to turn to and so we see many different baptisms and um things in this day where uh, you never would have imagined that that person would have got baptized, but yet they're they're coming and um, coming uh and in, in, in so anyway um, let's see I think it's interesting how I don't know anytime that we can kind of pinpoint it to stuff that we're experiencing today, you know that uh, we're starting to have um, uh, rumors of, of famines and widespread uh, curses like that and the idea of Jonas of Egypt uh, ministering to his brothers in that land. Um, it uh, seems to, to be that like Joseph of Egypt is, is also uh, a composite of that or part of the composite of the Davidic figure in the end days.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then uh, bringing about that that second exodus that happens. So uh, verse
2: three. So Cameron, <laughs> can I ask you something? Tell me about the two exoduses. What I'm a little bit mixed up on that.
0: Uh-huh, yeah so uh, like how they relate to each other or how they'll happen or or what
2: Wait, the dates i want the exact dates cameron <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think it's too far off <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah so we so what
2: Michael which
0: one so before. what
2: Go ahead, go ahead, Like, Who is involved in the first one and who's involved in the second one? Does that make Um, sense even?
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, like the first exodus is uh, Moses and Egypt kind of a thing. Um, Back then, the second exodus is the the future one that we have yet to experience. So um, Michael Rush's books talk uh, extensively probably the best commentary on it that I've seen so far, although um, a lot of missing pieces there are found in Isaiah. Um, but the fact that the second exodus um, that will happen in the end time um, is going to blow the first one out of the water, as Michael Rush says, it, like it, it pales in comparison uh, to what the second one will be. Um, the The great exodus at the end time is to to save all people who are compliant who who uh, may can keep sacred covenants with the Lord but find themselves in dire straits they they can't escape the the king of Assyria the antichrist uh, in the end times by their own accord and so they need the 144,000 they need the lost 10 tribes to to come and rescue them in the end times, and it leads to this um, this major exodus out of all lands to, to the land of Zion. Now, they won't necessarily be able to enter the, the actual holy city of Zion yet until they uh, ascend the, the, the ladder uh, to a level that is permitted to enter, but they at least can um, be within the uh, a, a society of people who will actually lift them up to those levels. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's what, you know, like where the 144,000 come in, that's where um, son slash servant level of Isaiah's ladder comes in, making Davidic covenants on behalf of those people, um, bringing them in to, to to places of refuge, whether that be like 10 cities, cities of light kind of thing, or whether that be to the actual um camp of Zion there. Okay, okay,
2: Uh, that's very, very helpful. I was thinking you were talking about two exoduses in the end time, but I I understand that, okay, so I think it's very interesting in the reading this week, and, and always how the Lord actually is the power behind the Antichrist who allows the Antichrist to destroy the wicked. I think that's so interesting how he, um, well, how he himself, through the Antichrist, destroys the wicked.
0: Right? I mean, that was something very hard for me to, like, grapple and wrestle with. Uh, Like, it just doesn't seem like that's what God is, you know, like, as I'm kind of growing up through the the church and and the teachings and stuff, it's like, I don't know, God's a a benevolent kind of person. He's not like this Old Testament God that just smacks people down all the time. But yet, this idea going through uh, the book of Isaiah, where God has two hands, a right hand and a left hand, but they're both his. And so I yeah, just like you, I, I found it very interesting that that how he actually uses and implements his left hand um to he, he raises up the antichrist or, or lets the antichrist rise up in uh, or exalt himself only to debase himself later on but um to like the wicked destroy the wicked it's never that you know the the opposite where the the righteous have to do that until seraphim level of course but um that that he allows such things to happen so that um, judgment can, can be made upon the, the wickedness of, or the wicked choices uh, of those who do that, you know? <laughs> yeah,
2: so is it your understanding that this exodus is happening during this great destruction? I mean, that might be a dumb question, but...
0: I don't know. Yeah, I... I, I think so, but you know, I <laughs> I'm kind of new to this. I, I there there could be lots of different possibilities there that I'm not considering. But but yeah, it seems that when the Antichrist is at his height of, of persecution, of bondage, that there's no other way out. I mean, can because the first Exodus is is a type and shadow that leads us to the second one. Uh, when Pharaoh is so oppressive that the people just have no possible way to uh, to live their lives to actually live their covenants even though they want to that's when the the lord delivers and it's kind of like the 11th hour i mean at the very last minute that the lord steps in and and pulls them out in order to let the wicked completely actually destroy the wicked and the righteous to to go free and and worship to the dictates of their conscience kind of thing um I, I don't know. I don't know how it plays out, but <laughs> um, Karen, it would seem amid the, the height of the destruction there.
1: The, the There's these elect people on the four corners of the earth, so that just means they're everywhere. um But so many have been oppressed, you know, to where they haven't been able to hear the gospel or they haven't been able to get out from under their circumstances and stuff. So as this Antichrist is, the wicked are getting uh, taken care of, some of this oppression, they, they're able to get out from underneath this oppression that they've been under. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so well, that, then- That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that's when like the 144,000 that we talk about that 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 basically the oh, the mothers and the fathers that help you know
0: with this mm-hmm. the, the nursing the beings and nursing mothers family. yeah
1: yeah go in and and rescue them and they they have to be uh translated beings in order to go to these places and and go rescue them and bring them to Zion. And like you say, they might not be able to enter the, the city Zion until they have made these covenants and moved up the ladder. But they'll be to a safe place where they can um, accomplish this thing. So that this gathering is going to be huge throughout all the world. And uh, it's going to take place there. Um so I can see where it will be a lot, a lot bigger than the Moses bringing them out of Egypt. Mm-hmm.
0: But we do know that Moses' uh, exodus is the type for the second one. So yeah. all of the same, yeah. same principles and symbolisms are going to play out in there. I mean, there's going to be 10 plagues. There's going to be the, the dividing uh, of the sea, a uh, parting of the sea type motif. There's going to be a Mount Sinai there's, there's all of those things are going to have their parallel in the second Exodus. And I don't know every time that I come on to this uh, topic, this specific topic of Isaiah, my mind always goes back to a few conferences ago um, where I don't know it was it was a very challenging wrestle for me to come to grips with, but we were talking about refugees and I remember Uchtdorf got up and and, uh, was talking about it as well, and I think it was the Relief Society president at the time, but I mean, just this idea of, no, we need to accept the refugees as they're they're coming kind of thing, and I was stuck back in a a different mentality, it seems like forever ago, of, no, I mean, there's obviously evil people amongst them that, you know, like, what are we going to do? I mean, they're coming from some of these Muslim nations, and Uh, the whole 9-11 motif or or threat kind of thing like oh we're just gonna um, allow them to to come on into our country and destroy us from within kind of thing. I was in this like weird I don't know internal battle over this and yet the church was telling us to to love and accept refugees and to um, allow those that are suffering to come out of those circumstances anyway, it was this weird struggle. I wish I would have read Isaiah back then. I would have come to, to grips with it uh, in, in a much different light, but I remember that that was a, a huge struggle for me in just a kind of a political sense, you know, like I, we really struggled as a nation with with border policies, with um, all of the, the things that come in, uh, and so that that was a struggle, but now I, I see it in a completely different light, where we have many, and and we might be among them in different ways, shapes and forms, who will come under the persecution of the Antichrist in the end times and need deliverance. So like who are we to ever deny any refugees from any background country or um, religion? Um, uh, so that they can come and find a place to, um, to find refuge, so that they can, can worship how they might, to have freedom. Um, I think that's a huge thing. So even that refugee movement uh, back a few years ago, I think is, is typifying what it will be like for the second exodus that, that will happen at the height of the antichrist. Persecution. I might.
1: I think you might could include that as part of this second exodus.
0: Yeah, that it happens over a a wide
1: span mm-hmm. of years. Well,
0: I mean, relatively short span of years in context of everything, but but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a, a very so, awesome.
2: Cameron. Cameron, what can we who understand the gospel and understand what needs to happen what can we what do you think is the most important thing we can do to become more holy and to be able to serve like as like like the 144 or even be one of the 144 what can we
0: how can we who understand this what do we need to be doing uh-huh yeah what's the next step how do we get there and stuff I think that that was the biggest eye opener for me as soon as I had my aha moment a few weeks back of, oh, this is the next step kind of a thing. Because I I had pigeonholed myself into, I need to become one of the 144,000. I need to, I want to be translated. I want to live like Father Abraham and uh, live up to these great blessings kind of thing. But I was kind of doing it for more selfish reasons, not necessarily. Um, in the whole context of, of helping the world at large in the end times. And um, as I was reading Isaiah Decoded with y'all for the, the very first time, I didn't realize that there was a step in between the Zion Jerusalem level and the Seraphim level. There's this kind of hidden sun servant level that i had never heard about, never considered. Um, I didn't know that it had its own laws and blessings and and curses associated with it but once i understood that i think my whole paradigm completely shifted into a realization that davidic covenants are crucial for us in the end time so as we are on the zion jerusalem level it means that we've been to the temple been endowed with power and are seeking to endure to the end, that's Zion, Jerusalem. But now, in order to ascend to the next level, we have to pass three tests of loyalty, political, ecclesiastical, and and idolatry, as uh, described in Isaiah Decoded, we talked about. We pass those three tests of loyalty, and then we start living the Davidic law, which is entering into Davidic covenants for people, uh, typifying the King Hezekiah experience. And once we start doing that, we then are actively inviting those seraphim to intercede on behalf of the people that we're entering into Davidic covenants for. I know that this is like the the quickest rundown of everything, but um, to answer your question, I think we need to actively study what the Davidic covenant is, how to enter into it, and how to actually provide protection for people um, according to the law. So each level of the ladder has its own law that we need to learn and learn how to obey. Um, And the sun servant level of the ladder is all about providing protection. And so um, reading and studying the, the Hezekiah story in depth until you really get it, and then taking that to the temple, taking that through the Book of Mormon and looking at all of the times that we have experienced the Davidic covenant in scripture and learning how to start implementing it in our own life. I think that's, my, that's how I would answer your question. That's what we need to start doing is learning the Davidic covenant. And then once we've got that mastered, if we're so <laughs> lucky to, to get that perfected then we can start uh, thinking of even uh, ascending to the the 144,000 the seraphim level of the ladder and actually providing that protection that the Davidic covenants are are praying for. That's that's a really quick rundown of all things, but <laughs> and, and that's not something you talk about in Sunday school because that would like lose everybody right there. Like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> but um but yeah yeah Yeah, you don't
2: you definitely don't hear this over the pulpit
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was interesting um like the the newsletter that the isaiah institute sends out the one this morning was actually about that specific topic where um the davidic covenant like what can we be doing can we actually is it kosher to enter into davidic covenants like personal covenants with the lord kind of thing. And, and Avraham answers that a little bit there, but um, yeah, I, I think that that's just the great uh, deception uh, of our day of endure to the end means just go into retirement kind of thing. You know, it's, you've got your covenants now just don't mess it up kind of a thing versus no there's there's so much more that we can be doing there's there's higher laws there's divine laws that president nelson has been trying to teach us and uh get us to learn but they have to be learned by the lord himself he's the the only one that can like teach you these things i mean we we do have some select few uh prophets and and some modern commentators who have are starting to to kind of point us in that direction but the, the lord needs to teach it to us on his his own that's that's why it's reserved for him and not the general public uh, of of the church kind of thing but mother like wouldn't you say that as soon as you know the proper way to ask and petition the lord for answers in this like he's right there he's given your answers like left and right as soon as you kind of got your footings as soon as you prove that you want to actually do this but it's not for the faint of heart, right? Like, it involves a lot of suffering. And uh, this proxy savior type suffering is is not easy. But um, if we actively want to protect our families and um, our communities, our, our world in, in the future, I think that that's the answer is... Mm-hmm. Davidic level covenants to start off with, and whatever the, the law on the, the seraphim level entails for uh, to actually become that, to become a beloved um, that, that can actually rescue people. So when
2: you say protect,
0: give me an example of
2: protecting.
0: Uh-huh. So, um, uh, precursor to that, I would quote from President Nelson. Only those men, in a coming day, only those men who uh, seek to be taught by the Lord himself will be able to bless, guide, protect, strengthen, and heal others. Uh, Only a man who has paid the price for for priesthood power will be able to protect his marriage now and throughout eternity. Uh, There's, I know that I misquoted some words in there. Anyway, but in that, there's five things, bless, guide, protect, strengthen, heal, and protect is is a huge crucial one where davidic servants so king hezekiah he didn't actually provide the the physical protection for his people but he sure prayed for it but it was the seraphim above him on the ladder the the translated beings that actually So Hezekiah prayed to the father and the father sent seraphim or translated beings to go and and actually provide the protection to wipe out the Assyrian army that night. Um, But it was because of a living mortal, a son servant level person who provided the intercessory prayer in order for that. If there was no intercessory prayer, no um, Davidic person there that, that was providing that, i.e. Right? He, Hezekiah's father, King Ahaz, he was that, that person. He was supposed to be providing the intercessory prayer, that, um, that protection for his people, but he, he said, I will not. Um, and so his, his people uh, brought upon themselves the, the destruction because of it. But yet King Hezekiah provides the intercessory prayer. Please protect us, or in other words, in our vernacular today, Hosanna, Hosanna. And so then comes the hallelujah, where we actually get the the saving, or the the seraphim come in and and actually do the protecting, destroying our enemies and or providing an escape, an exodus for us to to do that. So I Uh, sorry, I, I'm just like taking over all of the, the time here, but um, I, I think if we'll go back and look at our most recent Davidic covenants that we've seen in conference with the Hosanna shout, the uh, talk by Elder Gong uh, right before the Hosanna and Hallelujah provides almost all the answers to, to what I just talked about. Um, the 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 sun servant level and the seraphim level of the the latter are beautifully talked about in his talk and, and throughout his footnotes there it, to a general audience but with those that with eyes to see can can clearly discern what what he's talking about
2: thank you you're amazing <laughs> no, and, <I'm>
1: <laughs> and then president nelson uh, leading in the Hosanna! Shout! Is acting that Davidic covenant, taking that on for all of us. Yeah, is what he's doing there. And anyway, it's just great example to us. But remember when we uh, were going through the Isaiah decoded, and we got to the Son Servant level. It it talked about that we. Become proxy saviors, or at least we should for for all those who uh, we take names through the temple.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, didn't understand it so much at the time, uh, but I'm starting to as we're this has fallen into place, and 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 I've started uh, doing that and and doing. Um, davidic covenants for them and it's it makes all the difference as this is all opening up it's so thrilling because it's made the the whole temple the endowment part well all of it but it's about the davidic covenant it it really is the whole endowment that's what it's about and it's getting us so that we understand it and can do this, these things, and and at first I was scared. Cameron can attest to this because you know it's a scary thing to take on extra suffering because you think you have enough, but it it really. It's, it really is a blessing I, I mean the whole process i anyway it's just thrilling it's b- made a whole dimension of difference in my life since i've started understanding this and i i had such a special experience with my my first one that i did that mm-hmm. i don't know there's probably not time to take tell all about
0: that but well, I think you did uh, a couple weeks ago. It's hard to keep all the groups but I know I, I think
1: it. it was in C. Did I do it in no. no, you did it here. I remember it distinctly. And
2: okay. Cherry sharing about that. It was okay, awesome. Okay.
1: Okay, I'm glad. Okay. But that yeah. was what that was all about. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of like we were talking about with this whole Exodus motif, um, there, I, there's kind of a place for everyone. Wherever you're at on the ladder, there's this this ministering that needs to happen to bring people to safety. Uh, we might even find ourselves um, in in need of deliverance, but as we are making and keeping covenants on whatever level of the ladder we're on. Um, there's those higher that will intercede on our behalf and actually bring us out, and likewise, once we are saved, we we turn around and, and save others. And as we're doing, I mean, the the whole Isaiah's ladder, this this ministering ladder to to heaven, is so beautiful. Like it's just so well organized. Of course, this is how. It, it all plays out, kind of thing. I there's there's no doubt in my mind, and I didn't even know about it until a few months ago. It's so crazy how fast the Lord's willing to impart and share um, this plan that that was foreordained, uh, for uh, that was uh, given to us in the preexistence, and and we accepted it, and we decided that, um, or or we accepted the the challenge to to come in those last days so that we could um be a part of it uh here in our mortal bodies while those who preceded us um came in in their respective times to to fulfill that mission plus um to rise to the level of seraphim so that they could help in the end times with us like everything is just so perfectly timed out and uh planned and and prepared uh we just have to to work it requires a lot of work and look at what satan's trying to do he just has us rest on our laurels he has us get distracted with with technology with uh the world around us The world's moving at such a fast pace and it requires a lot of work and dedication to to learn about this and and learn to hear him, but as, as we do, it, it just comes flooding. <laughs> it's so fast. You know,
2: on one of the blogs, um, they said that Elder Holland came and spoke somewhere, and he said, "I know you want me to speak about the second coming," <laughs> and my comment is, "The world, the world is wicked enough." but there are not enough righteous people. So address that, what do you think?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. So in the um, ruin and rebirth, so the very first two weeks of what we were doing here, as soon, like it, it, it's like this great balance, as soon as wickedness rises, um, the, the righteous fall and vice versa. As soon as the righteous start rising, the the wicked get more wicked and so the fact that that holland says that that the wicked are already wicked enough means that the the righteous have only to go through their descent phase in order to to fully rise to their full potential um like it's imminent or i would say in other words a hinge point it's it's where we're just right on the cusp of uh the elect really rising to their full potential. Um, I I think that that's a huge thing. I hadn't heard that from from Elder Holland. That's that's an amazing quote. I I wanted to find that. But um, one thing from the literary message of Isaiah here is this King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is like crucial to understanding Isaiah. If you don't understand the King Hezekiah story, you're not going to get any of it or the importance or... The, the framework of it, any of it. So here it talks about, I'm gonna to try to like paraphrase some of this because Avraham uses some intense words here, but um, so he talks about the cyclical pattern that happens throughout the humiliation and exaltation chapters. And he says that this cyclical pattern demonstrates the integrity of Isaiah's Zion ideology So the Zion ideology we'll we'll talk about next week uh, in depth, but it's a threefold structure that supports and appears consistently throughout the entire book, not just these specific chapters. But this pattern transcends the historical bounds that sometimes we place on it. Oh, it only happened in Isaiah's day, but it transcends those historical bounds and chapter divisions and remains true in a cumulative or um, end time pattern. And so, um, for example, it reaffirms part two's transformation of Jehovah's deliverance of the Zion slash Jerusalem level from the Assyrians at the intercession of King Hezekiah. And this is the, the part that's very interesting. That specific historical event is a focal point or a hinge point of Isaiah's Zion ideology, and it exemplifies the three-part pattern, serving as a type for Zion Jerusalem's historical deliverance and prefigures our historical deliverance at the end times. And so everything kind of rests on King Hezekiah's story and what it means to to be delivered from the the height of wickedness um, when it's nigh at the door and to um, see this Davidic figure rise to uh, actually provide provide inner sin for the the people at large and um, to establish Zion, provide a place and bring them as an exodus to that place. And so, um, when Elder Holland says that um, that that there's already enough wickedness um, for for the end times, but but there's not enough righteousness, or the righteous have yet to fully, uh, they're they're almost through their their humiliation phase, and they're on their way to their ascension. I, I think that that's that's crucial to to know and kind of pinpoint as we look at the idea of a hinge point president nelson already told us what that hinge point was was the rome uh, temple dedication and um taking that scenario and overlaying it with king hezekiah's scenario is is a fruitful study <laughs> Where, however long that I, i'm only kind of barely grasping at it and it's like oh there there's a lot of huge implications and and study i am gonna be spending my whole week just on on that right there because that was just told me like i don't know a couple hours ago it was like take this hezekiah story which is the hinge point of its day and mirror it to the hinge point of our day and compare the two and so i think that there's a lot to be had there but i can't fully speak to it because i haven't went fully down that that rabbit hole yet but i think that that's going to be um a huge comparison.
2: Thank you. I feel like I've been tutored one on one tonight.
3: Thank you so much. <laughs> um, you brought up the Rome Temple, and when we first started talking, that came to my mind, and how all of them were there, and I think that is significant, also. Um, and this is that you before you even said this, I'm just like, yeah. What about the Rome Temple? So uh-huh. like a, this is like a confirmation of a study for me, too. I'm excited. That's mm-hmm. And what, was Hinge Point said one other time, too? Or was it uh-huh. say that?
0: So um, in in here, the literary message of, of Isaiah, it talks about the king has a Kaya story as a focal point. And um, he uses focal and hinge uh, a few different times, interchangeable there. And so... Um, that paired with um president <laughs> talking about the rome temple as a hinge point but there was also one other reference to it well i want to say in his brazil interview he mentions uh, another hinge as well i need to find that one too
3: so um, i just looked up hinge point in the gospel library and there's 11 references um Seven are in general conference and four in a magazine, which is probably general conference republished. Mm-hmm. Irene in um, 2020. Okay. Um, maybe that was two. Prayers of Faith. Yeah, that same talk. It's hearts Knit in Righteousness. So 2020, Quentin Cook. Um, preparation for the Second Coming. Dylan H. Oaks. That was in 2004. Follow this. Okay. Wait, I, mean, I don't know. And then also Henry Irene in 2020, There's a Faith. But why isn't President Nelson coming up in that pinch point? Because I heard him say it.
0: Uh huh. It was in an interview with Deseret News. Um, it so it wasn't was a in a
3: conference. conference.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I believe it was also in his Brazil interview on his worldwide tour. Um, him and stevenson are sitting there
1: is that with the one with uh, stevenson the
0: elder stevenson yeah. yeah 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 i think yeah. you're in there somewhere but i forget exactly
3: when you when you do this study will you share your notes <laughs> Yep. <laughs> well i
1: oh.
0: Will you what? Just say it.
1: I better not say yet, because really, it is—it's so new. But it convinced me.
0: <laughs> I know I just barely school. laid it all on my mom, but I was like, we gotta study that this week.
1: But yeah, it's too soon to say for sure. But I think there's. Oh, I just said. <laughs> yeah, I think it kind of tells us who the anti-servant
0: is mm-hmm. yeah so like rome temple dedication and um interestingly enough, uh, talk from this last general conference i think lends into it quite well anyway i there, there's just a lot there but like the three kind of key figures all of the apostles were in rome but there there's three that just kind of really stand out as as part of um what's going on and the significance of that hinge point um so i don't know I, we'll we'll get back to you we'll get you some some notes <laughs> when we study some stuff this week but but yeah uh, president nelson bednar and and rasband are are kind of crucial in in that hinge point um anyway where, where where are we at and I said oh, seven o'clock already that's that seems about right <laughs> our discussions always uh, are are very great we, we'd study a few verses, maybe even a chapter and then uh, get into to some meats and applications of, of these things it <laughs> I love idea so much I never thought I would i I don't know I it is it's intriguing can't how can't. it just comes when we're ready for it kind of thing.
1: Oh man. It's...
0: But yeah, I, I'm i super excited to, to read this section because, you know, with any chiasm, the apex or the, um, the part that's singled out as the most important, here it's humiliation and exaltation. Going through Isaiah decoded, that was the huge eye-opener for me the descent before the ascent we you can't just go in a straight line and expect to ascend you have to go through suffering humiliation etc a descent phase before you can actually climb and so um, now that we're here in this part of the bifid structure and and looking at some of these great composites and and literary devices that are helping support that principle I find that I'm more confused than I have answers, yet I'm seeing things in a whole new perspective. It's like I'm in a foreign country in a foreign language and and I don't fully speak it yet, but I'm on the cusp of it. You know, like when I served in Mexico, um, that came at kind of the the nine or 10 month mark when I I started kind of like, oh, I, I get what people are saying for the most part, but I don't get all the nuances and I can't speak the language yet but yet I'm on the cusp, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm almost there, but uh, that's how I feel about this, like this humiliation exaltation theme, I, I think is going to be key and, and crucial as we understand our individual roles in the end time, how we see the world around us and how we can come to recognize this Davidic figure when he presents himself. And, and what that looks like, especially, amidst all the turmoil that we are currently experiencing and will be experiencing in the next short while and, and even years. Um, yeah. It, I don't know. Isaiah is just like the answer. And yet I feel like I'm barely getting to um, getting to the door to actually start knocking and, and asking for some of these blessings kind of thing for some of this knowledge. I mean, um anyway any final thoughts uh questions explanations <laughs> whatever you got it, it's thank a, you a fun, thank just you so much
2: <laughs> yeah i need i need to go but thank you so so much
0: <laughs> yeah just, for sure. love, Thanks for, it. just for love it just uh, love it Janet's always the one that poses the the good questions that just get me <laughs> rambling <laughs> i love it thank you
3: I ordered that book, Janet. I'm excited to get it. Did you hear me? No. Janet? Oh, wow. I, ho- I ordered that book about endowments. I can't wait for it to come. Oh, that,
2: that, Laura, that will open doors and windows into the temple ceremony. I would love to talk to you about
0: it after you've read for it. Sure, yeah, for sure. It's the the Jensen one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Corey yeah. B. Jensen. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we need to uh, have that, like a like, little one-time off. side discussion on, on that sometime.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which one, Janet? <laughs> yeah, there's because there's three. He wrote three. Um, the 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 two that are the most important are the the um understanding your endowment and then um
0: completing your endowment
2: complete completing your endowment oh, okay thank you
0: yeah the preparing for your and endowment then, great um, for people who haven't been through before but it doesn't have anything like groundbreaking
3: <laughs> So i ordered the one that you said which one was that is it the understanding understanding your endowment Was there an order that you read it in or is that the one i that's just the one i need to do mm-hmm. yeah that's so. just the one you need to start okay. with awesome hey hey
2: i love you i love you guys thank you i love you janet hang in there yeah.
0: yeah that was it thank you but yeah any other final comments or thoughts before we head out um been fun <laughs>
3: so i had a great discussion tonight with with my son's girlfriends and him yeah and i think she's going to read the book of mormon but they, she's pretty hung up on um president nelson's example in january
0: okay yeah <laughs> it's a a huge one for for lots of people you know I I think that that plays in a lot to like what we're talking about now with uh, Davidic Covenant and um, the the King Hezekiah example. I, you know, I'm not going to like say definitively what, what I think on it yet until I do this study this week, but I think if we really take a step back and look at what he was doing really, I think we'll understand a lot more based on the King Hezekiah story. But I don't know.
3: Is it a like a sacrifice? Are so you
0: thinking like a sacrifice? Uh huh. Yeah. So like King Hezekiah's boil is what threw everybody off, kind of thing. I think that that it's not necessarily a, an example. Like King Hezekiah didn't tell all of his people, go out and get a boil on your face, <laughs> kind of thing. But he did it as a proxy for everyone else, kind of a thing in in saving them from the Assyrian captivity though that was coming um it was nigh at the door I mean it was right there and I don't know I I think that there's a lot to that that's just misunderstood because it wasn't like you know
3: how does that fit in with the the missionary I I am totally cool with it I don't have a problem mm -hmm. but to answer those are her questions how does that fit in with the missionaries and the tabernacle choir
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's an interesting one too. Um, I don't know. Maybe they are also acting on the sun servant level uh, to an extent, whereas an example, I don't know uh, that's exactly what my, my study is going to be this week. And, and trying to line all of those things out and kind of prayerfully ask about those. And, and see if there's more examples. I'm gonna re-dive back into the Hezekiah story and just really try to flesh that out. Um, because in the Hezekiah story, there's the two messengers that, that go in between uh, Rabshakem, between uh, Rabshakeh and Isaiah, etc. And I think that those two messengers will have a huge parallel in, in today's story as well, but I haven't pinpointed those exactly. So I don't know, I don't know quite how I would approach that with anybody, but, but yeah, somewhere along those lines. <laughs> I
3: just had to point out all the things that he's been teaching. So I was able to bring up all his talks and just the heading of his talks was perfect. Like, look at, this is what he's been sharing with us. This is what he's been telling us. This is mm-hmm. what he's been saying. And then there was another example about um, a general having to lead a war and um, picking battles have you seen that post? That was really mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I went a little deeper than my thought process in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I think, yeah, I, I think it was about 24 hours I was having issues, but I was fine after that. I was like, I, I get this. This is what he's been telling. This is what he said. I'm totally full cool of this. Um, but to be able to show his conference talk titles, I mean, yeah it's it's in me but to get it out of my mouth but just to show it was, was really good like this is why um this is why and it's okay and and I know this man and I know he's a man of God. well why would he and and the question was is this the mark and I'm like well I don't I don't think so I don't I don't think of at all I don't think this is it um yeah but fortunately she she said well my dad thought that the barcode system was well we know that that you know, is it, but all these things lead towards, it leads towards that
0: idea, right? Yeah, it's kind of like this composite of what the actual Mark of the Beast is kind of thing, like there's, there's types and shadows all along history that kind of help point us to certain end time things, but yet nothing's totally a 100% match yet. We have yet to see what that full thing is, but Mm -hmm. but we, we see hints of it every once in a while.
3: And there was, it was fun to explain to her how Satan is kind of one step ahead, like <laughs> in, the garden, in the Garden of Eden and, you know, and here and the, and the globalization thing and, you know, making it look like this is it, right? But we,
0: mm-hmm.
3: she's like, yeah, okay, how, well, how do we know? I suppose because we follow the spirit. She's like, oh, yeah, well, how do you know you're following the spirit? And we're able to get through all that. It was a fun, a fun discussion. Like, she's a little deeper than I thought she was. <laughs> it was kind of fun.
0: Yeah, because we have lots of questions that sometimes we just repress because we, we don't know who might have an answer or we're, we're afraid of uh, throwing it out there and looking weird kind of a thing, you know. So the fact that she hasn't voiced those concerns necessarily out loud yet before this moment is, is kind of an interesting timing that, you know, like the the learning that you're having and the learning that she's having is is now finally starting to get into that compatibility stage where, oh, you'll you'll both start really expanding and, and growing on that as she takes some of that and now if she if she reads the Book of Mormon and stuff it's like she's going to 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 learn and grow uh, exponentially there I, I think oh, that's, that that's, that's so fun
3: I actually had her reading we read. 35 tonight 11 right 35 11 and then the promise in moroni and um i had to read the first couple of lines in the doctrine of covenants and oh yeah all over the place it was really fun uh-huh. was a- i wish but my- yeah like <laughs> that's okay
0: yeah uh it like what you said sometimes i just have a hard time like getting it out of my mouth but like when you can go to the scriptures like when uh, you've paid the price for scriptural knowledge and can like lean on the spirit to give you those references in the actual moment of need kind of thing like oh yeah this is exactly what's going to help her understand this what I'm trying to say because like like Moses or Enoch like I'm slow of speech I I'm not great at explaining things but yet as long as I can connect with heaven then he's going to give me the scriptures when I need it. <laughs> And so like, I, I find myself referencing Isaiah like all the time now uh, with any given thing that somebody like throws out there. I'm like, well, Isaiah says this now. I never thought I would get to that point where I'm <laughs> referencing Isaiah, but but it's coming. Uh, paying the yeah. price for scriptural knowledge is, is huge. Yeah,
3: that's awesome. So this is interesting. She said one thing to me and um, think back to your, how you would answer this when you were on your mission. She said, um. I understand baptism, but and she's um Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. Just believes that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one person and they're everywhere and nowhere and all over all at the same time. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so this these scripture, this verse in um I kind of always I was like, What? I am the Father and the Father is an I, or you know, how how does that go? Or is that and I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe this is written for those people so that they can see this, because we understand they're three separate. But then it was saying they're all one.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's the Father bear record of me, and the Holy Ghost bear record of Him who is of the Father and me. For the Father and I and the Holy Ghost are one. I'm like, mm, but they're one in purpose. And I didn't even have to say that tonight. But I just read that. She's like, I could just see it. Just like, like distill from. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's I think that that scripture took on a, a new added dimension when I learned that there was different levels on a ladder, kind of thing. And like I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and Father and I are one, and the Holy Spirit beareth the, the record. It's like, oh, they're all on the same level of the ladder. Now I get it, <laughs> kind of thing. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> like it, it's not saying that they're one person, but but they're a composite. Uh, typifying that level of the ladder the the perfection that we need to get to and and we do that through proxy suffering and, and and saviorship kind of thing it was like oh and it makes sense when you go back and reference it with like joseph smith where he said that heavenly father was the savior of his world and um uh yeah cuz cuz that's the plan we're we're all saviors like that's how we we ascend the ladder kind of thing and so we can be in them we can be one with them and in them as they are one once we start ascending and and get to that level of the ladder but anyway yeah I all of that started kind of like starting to unravel and stuff once I knew that there was a ladder to to begin with and anyway
3: (laughs) yeah that's neat thank you for uh your work and sharing and studies. And you're, For sure you shared with me. That was that was awesome. It's mm-hmm. a lot and, and awesome. I'm sorry that you have to go through a lot.
0: Oh no. a lot, <laughs> part of the whole process. <laughs> yeah it's it's an amazing uh ladder and everything. And once you start finally getting two proper doctrine uh taught clearly you can wade through any sort of deception that, that Satan's given you in the past, and you can uh, overcome any of obstacles and adversity. Like, everything's so good. Like, <laughs> I, I just, if I never would have had any of the trials that I've ever gone through, I never would have grown. I never would become what I needed to become in the end times. And so, like, oh, man, I just... Like what uh, Avraham keeps saying over and over in all of his books, you can never judge anyone on any level of the ladder because you never know where they're at or what they're actually experiencing or what the end result of their suffering is going to be kind of thing. You just have to to take people and love them. Without charity, you're judging people. And so until you have full-on charity towards all people, towards all mankind then you can start ascending the, the ladder or in other words, seeing people how God sees them and, and see what their progression is and even maybe how to help them kind of a thing. So anytime that we have a trial, it means that we're going to be helping other people with, with that given trial or whatever. It, it's, it's great, except trials with gratitude. It's, that's a, a new paradigm shift for me, but, but yeah.
3: Yeah, hold on, there's more coming
0: yep <laughs> oh
3: my goodness
0: all right well, well I guess with that we will what's the word say good, good night i don't know all of a sudden like i can only think of spanish words anyway but with that <laughs> we'll we'll say good night <laughs> and we'll see everyone next week for some good
3: studying
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> bye bye